0: It's just whatever you're doing is just in vain. There's a story from years ago about a thief that broke into the apartment, a one-room apartment, of a writer. And the writer was in the room at the time. He's on the other side of the room, you know, asleep. and, And so the thief is on the other side of the room at his desk, quietly trying to pick the lock and get inside. When suddenly, from the other side of the room in the bed, he hears some snickering. He gets a little mad. He's like, what are, you, what are you snickering about over there? And the writer from his bed said, I'm just I'm snickering at the great risk that you are taking right now to try to find money in a desk in the middle of night that I can't ever find money in in the middle of the day. <laughs> you ever feel like that? I mean, I hope you're not breaking into people's houses, but you, know, you ever feel like what you're doing is just a waste of time? You ever find yourself, you know, asking questions in your mind like, what? why am I doing this? Why, why am I trying so hard? Why am I putting forth so much effort? Isn't all of this just useless? Isn't all of this in vain? Did I leave the iron on this morning? I mean, do you ever have questions, you know, that just you can't get out of your head? Sometimes we do feel like we're wasting our time. Habakkuk, he felt that. Habakkuk was in a situation where his nation, his country was falling apart. Something we can't ever make a connection with, right? Habakkuk's nation was falling apart, and he's, he's praying, he's pleading to God, God, would you please do something? And God says, okay, I'll answer your prayer, and the way I'm going to answer it is I'm going to send this wicked group of people, the Chaldeans, and they're going to take over your nation. Can you imagine eavesdropping on that prayer time? God, please help. Lord, please help. I am, I'm, I'm going to send a nation to take over never mind, Lord, forget I said anything. It's it's fine, we'll take care of it. I mean, you have to think that when Habakkuk heard that answer, he was thinking, man, I'm I'm wasting my time praying to God. Man, my prayers are just a waste because they're not being answered. But it was God's answer. And in the middle of that answer, God also went further and he helped and encouraged Habakkuk How? How did he encourage him? Well, he encouraged him by helping him see the bigger picture Of how everything was going to play out Now, do, do you think that would have been encouraging to Habakkuk? He hears this strange news and, and then God encourages him by saying Look, I'm going I'm to give you the bigger picture Of how all of this is going to play out Don't you think that probably would have encouraged him? And what about us? Would it help you if you knew the bigger picture of how everything was going to play out? Well, the bigger picture is where we turn our attention now. God has been unfolding some things for Habakkuk. He's already in conversation with him. He continues picking up in verse 5. Furthermore, wine betrays the haughty man so that he does not stay at home. He enlarges his appetite like Sheol, and he is like death, never satisfied. He also gathers to himself all nations and collects to himself all peoples. Now back in verse 4, God had just got through telling Habakkuk that sinful, prideful, arrogant, selfish people, one day they were going to lose. They, They were not always going to win. So people like the Chaldeans were going to lose. God promised that. But make no mistake, they were gonna win first. And they were gonna win big. They were going to win some battles. They were gonna take over the country. They were gonna get very powerful and very wealthy. But just like the prideful, selfish, arrogant people of our day, whatever they had was not going to be enough. And so God is gonna paint a couple of pictures here using using two sets of imagery. God's going to use the picture of being drunk and going to hell to try to help Habakkuk see what's going to happen. Like someone who is drunk with wine, the Chaldeans were going to get drunk with power. Boy, they they were just really going to raise up and be this superpower in the world, taking over everything. But their success was not going to be enough. They were going to want more and more and more and more and more. And God describes that, that picture, this sense of them being drunk with wanting more. He describes it in a parallel way with hell. God uses a a picture of hell because hell is never satisfied. Hell always wants more and more and more. Peter writing to suffering Christian said this. He said, your adversary, the devil, he prowls around like an angry, roaring lion looking for someone, anyone, to devour and destroy. Listen, make no mistake, the enemy does not want to just trip you up. Years ago, I was speaking at a youth camp and and the way I described it and you talking about this verse was the enemy doesn't just want to trip you up. When you trip and you fall on the concrete, he wants to rub your face in the concrete until you bleed. And he wants to keep doing it until you bleed out and die. He's not satisfied with just messing up Thanksgiving Day for you. His desire is for destruction. His desire is to destroy and his appetite for destruction never ends. He's never satisfied. And that's the picture that God gives Habakkuk for people who are prideful and selfish and arrogant. So if you are a prideful, selfish, arrogant, unrepentant person, You are in great danger. In fact, the people around you are in a measure of danger as well. And God's message could not be any more clear. Let me repeat a a thought that I shared last week. Walter Chantry said this. There are only two kinds of men who have ever lived on the earth, men of pride and men of faith. Which one are you? A person of pride or person of, of faith. If, if your heart is giving you mixed signals on that answer, then stay in the conversation with us, because God's going to, to do something. He's going to have a conversation where he continues to lay out some things to Habakkuk, and what he's going to lay out is some woes. A woe is is like a warning. It's like, whoa, man, whoa, man, whoa. A woe is a, a warning From the person who's actually in charge to the person who thinks that they are in charge. That's that's the woe here. The psalmist has a a picture that I think is helpful. Psalm chapter 2, the psalmist says, Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord. And then the psalmist says this, he who sits in the heavens laughs. Now this isn't a a funny ha-ha laugh. This is at any moment ever in the history of the world or in the future history of the world or right now, God can look at any and every nation and he can see them watching them saying, our plans are first. Our world order is first. We are in charge. And the God of Israel says, ha. At any moment, he can say ha to the notion that anyone's plans are more important or more powerful than his. About a thousand years before Jesus was born, there was a a giant of a man named Goliath. And Goliath one day was out in a field. He was about to engage in a battle royale, a one-on-one fight with David, the son of Jesse. Now, David at the time was somewhere between 10 and 15 years old. And Goliath was impressive. He was a giant. And he had some serious battle armor. He had a a monster sword, a javelin. He had the, I don't know, the battle axe of Gimli. I don't don't know. He, He had a lot of stuff. And David, David David had a little pouch of rocks and a little wooden slingshot. And Goliath looks at him and says, am I some kind of dog that that you come out here to fight me with sticks? Look, I'm going to crush you and I'm going to feed you to the wild animals, you arrogant little punk. And listen to how preteen David responds. 1 Samuel seventeen. Goliath, you come to me with a sword and with a spear, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of Hosts, the God of the down, and I will cut off your head, so that all the earth may know there is a God in Israel. You thought your preteen had smart things to say. (laughs) Can you imagine? Boldness. Goliath, you think you're taking over the world? Ha. Have you found your ha yet in 2020? I'm going to tell you something. Your pastor found his ha about six months ago. (laughs) And I hope I don't lose it. Our ha is real. Our our ha needs to be a part of who we are. We need some of David's ha. We need to look at any situation. And we need to think one of two things. The glory of God fills the earth. Or the blood of Jesus has covered my life. Either one's pretty good for any moment. God's message to people who are prideful and arrogant has always been the same. Woe to you. Woe to you. And then he has some more woes. Verse 6. Will not all these take up a taunt song against him, even mockery and insinuations against him, and say, Woe to him who increases what is not his? For how long and and makes himself rich with loans? Will not your creditors rise up suddenly and those who collect from you awaken? Indeed, you will become plunder for them. Because you have looted many nations, all the remainder of the peoples will loot you because of human bloodshed and violence done to the land, to the town and all its inhabitants. With violence... And bloodshed, the, the Chaldeans were taking over the world, but they were taking more than they needed. They were greedy. And God tells Habakkuk, hey, don't worry. Their time is coming. And it's going to come like a thief in the night. History records that Cyrus, king of Persia, kind of took over the Chaldeans and their kingdom almost in, in one night. So the word of the Lord is, is clear and it's true. Their power suddenly was, was wiped out. Look, we can immediately come up with the names, right? Of the evil kings and the evil queens and the evil dictators, the evil generals, the evil leaders that we have seen throughout history. And we do need to mourn that any of their evil was ever carried out. But let us also not forget that people like that will not reign forever. They had their time. And their time was was gone Their their power suddenly was was disappearing And and it's fine for us to think of how that applies this year But I would also say this Be sure that you don't ignore that as believers We should take this warning and look at our own hearts as well We should look at our own lives and say Hey, am I greedy? Am I taking more than I should take? Am I trusting in my own strength? Am I trusting in my own power? Am I thinking as long as I don't murder somebody or or do something else really, really bad, that surely God's going to let me into his heaven? As an act of mercy for our souls, God says, woe to you. Woe to you. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 24. He said, if the master of the house... Had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. I mean, right? I mean, if you get a text that somebody's going to break into your house at 2 o'clock in the morning, I mean, you're going to set an alarm and be ready, right? But then Jesus says this Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. Are you ready for the return of Christ? Are you ready? Or is the return of Christ kind of not even on your agenda right now? Are you more obsessed with what you're going to eat this Thursday? Are you more obsessed with Thanksgiving than you are with the return of Christ? Are you more obsessed with the fact that it's 33 days until Christmas than you are obsessed with the return of Christ? Are you more obsessed with imagining that on January 1st, everything in the world is going to go back to your definition of normal? Are you obsessing over that more than you are obsessing over the return of Christ? Listen, it's great to be ready for Thanksgiving. It's great to be ready for Christmas. It's great to be ready for a new year. But it is morally and spiritually and emotionally and practically and eternally imperative that you get ready for the return of Christ that you are ready to meet God. So for whatever longings you have for your house, your family, your community, your nation, the world today, are you ready to meet God? Are you ready for the return of Christ? You can be. You can get ready right now. You can repent and believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. And if you're already saved, you know what else you can do? You can keep believing in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and be rescued from whatever anger or apathy or fear or frustration or anything else is weighing down your soul. You can be a person of faith. You can keep believing. And the God of the universe will help and he will encourage. It's what he does. God continues with his woes, beginning with verse 9. Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house to put his nest on high, to be delivered from the hand of calamity. You have devised a shameful thing for your house by cutting off many peoples, so you are sinning against yourself. Surely the stone will cry out from the wall, and the rafter will answer it from the framework. The Chaldeans obtained their wealth by evil means. And then they went and, and built their kingdom in such a way as to protect themselves, to, to keep themselves safe. I heard somebody once describe this as a, a similarity to what we see in communities all across the world. You have someone who goes into a, a rough, poor, impoverished neighborhood and, and they build a liquor store, or they build an abortion clinic, but they actually live on the opposite side of town in a gated community. The picture that God is painting here is is exploiting other people, taking advantage of other people, deceptively profiting from people because of their struggles. And God's response is woe to the person that takes advantage of others like that. Most of us have heard the phrase, boy, if these walls could speak, oh, the stories they would tell. God says the walls are going to speak when it comes to people who take advantage of others. The walls are going to cry out against how they have exploited other people. And God says, woe. Woe to people like that. Woe to the greedy. Woe to those who take advantage of others. And God continues in his woes. Listen to verse 12. Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and founds a town with violence. Is it not indeed from the Lord of hosts that peoples toil for fire and nations grow weary for nothing? The Chaldeans built their kingdom off violent bloodshed. They they killed people in war. And the people that they didn't kill they they forced them into slavery and then they forced those slaves to build their kingdom to to build their buildings they had amazing architectural buildings in the Babylonian kingdom but those great buildings those great kingdoms ultimately they were going to be nothing but fuel for the fire had a friend at a church years ago who was a pilot he told me this, the only kind of plane that has too much fuel is one that's on fire. You see, a, a full tank is wonderful to someone who is way up in the air managing a 40,000-pound machine. A lot of fuel is good news, unless that machine's on fire. And then that, that fuel only makes the destruction more rapid. Chaldeans had amazing buildings. They had an amazing kingdom. They had amazing structure. But their amazing buildings were going to just be fuel for the fire. They were all going to come to naught. What have you built in life? Have you built a a business, a career? Have you built a, a nice home or a nice vacation home? Have you built a nice retirement Those things are are fine. They're good. But are you worshiping those things more than you worship God? When you look at the things that you have in life, do you look at them as a prideful prideful reflection of your hard work? Or do you look at them as a joyful reflection of God's grace? Where's your heart when you look at your stuff? God says, whoa. Woe to the Chaldeans for taking pride in what they built because it's gonna come to nothing. And the same message come to us. Woe to any of us when our accomplishments or our possessions or anything else in this life become more important than the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords who said to us, what will it profit your life? If you have a great business and a great career, a great home, a great retirement home, a great retirement, and yet you forfeit your soul. Don't let stuff rule you. Don't worship stuff more than God. Don't forfeit your soul for stuff. The Chaldeans did, and they were destroyed. God says, woe to the greedy, woe to those who take advantage, woe to those who build with sin, and pride. We're going to skip over verse 14, which is next. We're going to come back to it, but we're going to jump to the next woe here in verse 15. Woe to you who make your neighbors drink, who mix in your venom even to make them drunk so as to look on their nakedness. You will be filled with disgrace rather than honor. Now you yourself drink and expose your own nakedness. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you and utter disgrace will come upon your glory. For the violence done to Lebanon will overwhelm you and the devastation of its beast by which you terrified them because of human bloodshed and violence done to the land, to the town and all its inhabitants. The picture here is of using things to lead other people into sin the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, they they were known for their extravagant parties. And one of the things that happened at those parties is still seen today in in Five Points and in bars and in honky tonks and in college campuses. And that is, if you get somebody drunk enough, you can lead them into sin. It's nothing new. It's what happened then. It still happens now. God says, woe to you if you Now, just to be clear, there's more things to get drunk on than just alcohol, right? You can get drunk on money. You can get drunk on power. You can get drunk on politics. You can get drunk on a volunteer position in the community. You can get drunk on a volunteer position in the church. You can get drunk on social media, drunk on, on games on your phone. You can get drunk on... Political conspiracies. You can get drunk on conspiracies about the end times. There's lots of things that we can get drunk on. There's lots of things, even some good things, that people will use to try to get you to quit looking at the glory of God in the face of Jesus. Let me say that again. There are plenty of people, and there are plenty of things, even some good things, that people will use to try to get you to quit looking at the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And God says, "Woe to people who do that. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this, the way of the transgressor is hard, whether the transgressor is an individual, a nation, or the whole world. Your worldly man may make a fortune by evil business methods. He may arrive at the top, But look at the end of the ungodly. Look at him dying upon his bed. See him buried in a grave and think of the doom and the woe that are his destiny. And he says this, we should feel sorry for the ungodly that they were fools enough to become drunk with temporal success. Their end is fixed. We don't have to be afraid of the ungodly in the world. In fact, we should pity them and feel sorry for them because their end is fixed. Unless they repent, their end is fixed. But here's the beauty of the other side of that. If you are in Christ, guess what? Your end is fixed. Nothing, no one, No circumstance, no situation, no calendar year can ever separate me from the love of God in Jesus Christ. No one and nothing can snatch me from God's hand ever, ever, ever. In Christ, my end is fixed. Glory. Hallelujah. And that's why in the middle of all this woe, In the middle of all of the woe that we are in these days, a believer in the middle of woe can hear this message of hope. Listen to what God says in verse 14. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. We sang that at the beginning of the service. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In the middle of all of this sin and injustice and violence and wickedness and woe, there is this amazing, awesome reminder. The glory of God fills the earth. The glory of God fills. I heard someone put it this way. Imagine a a football stadium, big one, packed with people. I mean, not just packed with people up in in the seats, but even down on the field, just packed out. And all the people in the stadium, they are vile. They are angry. They're yelling racial slurs. They're screaming political lies. They are shouting at the top of their lungs how much they hate things, hate people, and hate the world. And then suddenly there's this little small group of people, and they're down on the field kind of right next to the tunnel that comes into the field. And suddenly among that small group of people, they just begin to sing. Oh. lot of woes in the world today. There's there's a lot of woes in our own hearts and our own minds and our own attitudes. Man, there's some negative stuff. There's some bad stuff. We're all trying to work through some stuff. But ultimately, and finally, we must remember that the whole earth is full of the glory of God, and the whole earth will always be full of the glory of God. Nothing could change that. And that should cause us, not just this Thursday, But every single day, it should cause us to be thankful. As believers, because we know the one true living God, we should give thanks. You know, it's interesting. One of the first official days of Thanksgiving called in our nation was called right on the heels of our bloody battle for independence. And the first time there was a a national day Of Thanksgiving in our country, an official national day. It was called in the middle of our bloody battle against one another in the Civil War. And Thanksgiving, as we know it today, the paper was signed 19 days after Pearl Harbor. In other words, history tells us that we will not be very thankful people in comfort. But when the chips are down, when things are hard, when there's trouble, when there's tragedy, thanksgiving helps us to see, helps our souls to see the simple gift of grace. Grace. So I ask again, do you feel like you're wasting your time? Do you feel like your life is in vain, that your efforts are useless? This is what Jesus said to his friends. I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation in 2020 and every single year after that. It'll never stop. It'll never stop. It never has stopped. It will never stop. Tribulation will always be there. But, Jesus says, take heart, take courage, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. From the moment that stone rolled away from the tomb, the glory of Jesus Christ has filled the earth and nothing has hindered his glory. Nothing will take away from his glory. Nothing in 2020, nothing in 2021, nothing, long after any of us are dead, nothing will take away the glory of Jesus because he is risen, he is risen indeed. Nothing can change that. So what does that cheer look like in real life? What does that peace look like in real life? What does taking heart like that look like in real life? 15 years ago, Michael Milton, on the week of Thanksgiving, went to visit a lady named Jean. Jean was in a nursing care unit for many, many years. She was unable to walk, she had serious physical problems. She had to be lifted by a crane in and out of her bed and in and out of a chair. Other people had to to bathe her and dress her and do everything for her. She had a husband at one point, but, but he left. She was not able to watch her kids grow up the way most moms are able to watch their kids grow up. And she had other problems besides those things. In other words, Jean was someone that had every reason To be angry, frustrated, to raise her fist at God and not be thankful. So Michael Milton's talking to her that day, and Jean said, you know what, my life has been pretty rough. It's it's been tough. But then she went on to say this. But we believe that God's in control, don't we? And I have a choice to be thankful or not and I have chosen to be thankful and I've chosen to be happy. I am going to praise him. Isn't that what Thanksgiving is all about? When Milton got ready to leave, Gene said to him, you know what, it's going to be a great Thanksgiving. And with tears in his eyes, he said, it already is. You see, Gene learned the key to not feel like you're wasting time. And that key is this. Give your life to Jesus Christ. Because his death, his life, his birth, his resurrection, his ascension, his promise return means that if you are thankfully living for him, it is impossible for your life to be in vain.